0: be reading this morning. It's my great privilege and excitement this morning to close off this section of the Beatitudes which we've been spending 10 weeks on our calculated, Amazing. And uh, I still feel like we haven't quite scratched the surface yet of what they have. And uh, so this morning, I want to entitle this message, Righteousness and Reward. I want us to look at something that's often overlooked in the Sermon on the Mount, and that's this aspect of reward. And uh, I'm just checking... Just shout if I get too loud. I sound quite loud in front. Can you, is, this, is the volume fine for you? Okay. If I get a bit excited and you start doing this, right, <laughs> then I'll know there's a problem. All right. Um, but this morning, I want us to look at what is the sum total of what we looked at with these Beatitudes. And ultimately, why do they matter to us in this life? And so I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Following on from where we left off last week, blessed are those who persecuted you. Sorry, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Here's the verse I want to turn into today. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We saw in the Sermon on the Mount that it's a call for us as Christians to come back to our identity. You ask me, what is a Christian? I'll answer you a simple word, a disciple. A disciple, a follower of who? Jesus. And this morning, if you're wondering... You know, how are you doing in your walk with the Lord? Where are you? I ask you the simple question. How are you following Jesus day to day in your life? That is what a Christian is. And we're only called Christians much later on when we were so characterized by the person we loved. And these Beatitudes are a picture of someone who loves Jesus. Someone who lives for Jesus and has made him the first love of their life. And they said, we said that these Beatitudes are characteristics Of what a disciple looks like and that is why when you see these things in your life that word blessed means congratulations if you can see these things operating in your life you are becoming more and more like the one you are wanting to follow and friends this morning I'm going to argue with you in a good way I'm going to reason with you that it is the most blessed life you can possibly live there is nothing higher than what these Beatitudes are offering you in your life. It's better than that, that paycheck that you're wanting. I'll tell you now. Those wrinkles you're trying to forego. Those extra kilos or abs you're trying to form. Today, church, we are entering into what God is promising those that will make Christ their passion. And I just think it's absolutely glorious. And so these, things, these, these Beatitudes, they are congratulations. When you see these things operating at the mark of the Spirit... And they are lining you up for massive reward. And last week, we looked at the highest and fullest effect in the Beatitudes. It was blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That very thing. That you're hungering for in the fourth beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, is starting to take place in your life. You ask me, what do the beatitudes achieve in your life? I tell you, it is righteousness. What do I mean by that? Righteousness means being right with God in every single area of your life. Can I tell you, you God righteousness perfectly, if you want to look at a person that is Absolutely righteous. His name's Jesus. Totally without sin in every single area of his life, Jesus was righteous. And so the effects of these Beatitudes, as they grow and as they work in your life, is they make you like the one who lived the Sermon on the Mount perfectly, the one who had these Beatitudes operating perfectly in their life. It's Jesus. Righteousness is looking, thinking, living like Jesus did. And so I want to quickly, in my last attempt, as we wrap up these Beatitudes this morning, I want you to remember what a righteous person looks like. When I tell you that God's call on your life is to be righteous, what does that look like for you? I would put it to you that perhaps some of us have a self-righteous view of what that looks like. That's what it's like for me. Righteousness does not have a very good name in the world. But I want you to remember, every time you see the word righteous in Scripture, from this day on, I want you to remember this. The first thing that a righteous person looks like or has is someone who's poor in spirit. They are totally dependent on God. It's the most wonderful way to live. They understand that everything they need comes from Him. The second is, a righteous person is someone who mourns spiritually. It is a person who realizes this old way of thinking, what the world is after, and this old flesh, this old body, what the way it wants, and what is it after, it's not helpful. And mourning is attending the funeral of your old self. It's the most wonderful place of freedom, where you start getting comforted by what really matters. It's Jesus. You're living for Jesus. And what that produces is, in the righteous person is someone who's meek. Someone who has been set free from this preoccupation of themselves. Anybody want that? I want that. Meekness is when mourning has happened in your life where suddenly you realize that that old self is not so important anymore. And so when someone wants to come and bring criticism or correction, what happens? You don't get defensive. You're meek. Why? Because what's that to you defend? Your preoccupation is becoming more and more with God. And that produces in you... A certain appetite, it's called a righteous person is someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, which means that this lack of preoccupation with self produces the preoccupation with what God wants, him. And oh goodness, when that happens in your life, you're in line for some of the greatest encounters with God you could ever hope for. The promise is satisfaction, and the way this righteousness well, this hunger and thirst for righteousness cascades into your life, or the following three Beatitudes, is that you become a merciful person. Why? Because you want to please God. The highest test of whether you want to be righteous is when somebody has hurt you and you have to show them total forgiveness. The next step is someone who is pure in heart. A righteous person is someone who is pure in heart. What does that mean? It means a person who is truly merciful is somebody who has their heart clean of wrath, bitterness, anger, Pride, it's somebody that wants to be totally right with God from the inside out. Purity of heart. And what this produces is the seventh beatitude, which is a desire to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. What that means is you've been so set free of preoccupation with yourself. Your primary concern is how is everybody else doing in my life? And the peace we're called to bring is a peace called Shalom. It is a biblical peace of general well-being and wholeness that we've received in Jesus. The person who is a peacemaker has been set free to think about every relationship and person in their life and ask, how is this Shalom that's touched me, how is it touching them? And what that does is it sets us up... (laughs) Being a peacemaker for persecution, a righteous person from time to time gets persecuted. And that persecution is verbal. And it's because of our desire to bring peace into a situation that we can be misunderstood or rejected. And we see the full picture come full circle. Is what ultimately are we persecuted for? We're persecuted because we're righteous we're looking more and more like Jesus. And although Jesus was sinless, did that make the world applaud him? The world crucified him. And the idea is that for us in these Beatitudes, we see how far Jesus is wanting to take us in how he wants to change us. We said last week that these Beatitudes show us that we're not just called to be nice people, And I described a nice person I struggle with every day. So you're looking at a nice person. A person who's nice is concerned with, how do people like me? What do they think about me? It's still about me, right? They exist to meet my need for affirmation and approval. No, no. God wants to take us way beyond that. He wants to set us free from ourselves so that we can truly love people. You know what it's like to truly love a person? It's to be totally focused on what they need. Not how they can meet your need. And friends, unless you see that these Beatitudes are so radically different to the world around you, you will not be prepared for the extent to which Jesus wants to change you. He wants to make you righteous. It is totally different to the world around you. Do you notice any of these Beatitudes being praised or followed in the world? Any one of them. Take any one of them. Are they the pattern and system the way the, of what the world follows? No. <laughs> Let me tell you, this morning, we have to see how radically different Christ is calling us to be. And I ask, why does it matter? Some of you can rightly say to me this morning, we're saved by grace. The way I live does not matter in terms of whether I'm secure in my salvation or not. Paul says clearly, you are saved by grace through faith, full stop. You do not work for it. You do not earn it. It's not a loan. You don't pay it back. Everything that you have in Jesus, your qualification to be a part of the kingdom, to be a son and daughter of the living God, to be accepted and forgiven, it's given to you entirely by grace. So why should it matter this morning whether or not we're really righteous in our behavior, if we're righteous in our position? That's the question. Does it matter if you take seriously the full effect that Jesus wants to change you. Why does righteousness matter so much to God? Why does he want us to have an appetite for it and want us to achieve it? Well, the answer is because righteousness will be the only thing left standing when this world is wiped away. i say it one more time. Because righteousness will be the only thing left standing when this world is wiped away. Do you know what will be remembered about you? When Jesus comes in his fullness, will be nothing except what is righteous in your life. And Peter explains it like this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 to 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And this is it. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be? He asks the question, what are we to pursue in our lives knowing that this world is going to be wiped away? He says, we ought to live lives of holiness and godliness. That's another way of saying righteousness. Waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But here it is. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Why does it matter that you are righteous and becoming more and more like Jesus? It is because that is the only thing that will be remembered and rewarded about this life now. Jesus put it like this. Matthew chapter 5 verse 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Your righteousness will be remembered forever. And because we understand as Christians that this current world is not the final say and that this kingdom of heaven is coming in fullness, we understand that the only thing that matters is what will remain in that kingdom. And what will remain is what was righteous in you and me why live a godly life why be preoccupied with doing so because it will be the only thing remembered and rewarded in the life to come and so I ask you the question this morning Sterling how much do you think about heaven Paul said it like this in Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 set calibrate fix your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth and we do not begin to see the effect of these Beatitudes in our lives until we see what the reward is in the first Beatitude from the very beginning God is orientating you and me towards heaven blessed are the the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven right from the start God is saying the work of the Spirit in you is to transform you into a spiritually minded person where before this world was so precious because you thought it was all you had. Suddenly you realize it's passing away and it's orientating you towards heaven. And in the the eighth beatitude, you'd think that somehow the persecution would lead to a higher reward. No, no. Blessed are the persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is nothing greater than the kingdom of heaven and being ready. And I'm going to try and explain this as best as I can this morning. Church, we have to understand that our faith orientates us towards that day. And the Beatitudes argue with us and say, that day there's nothing greater than it. You start there. You end there. It is what we are to think on, meditate over, celebrate in, long for heaven. And the kingdom of heaven has only come in part. Can I remind you that we've only just tasted a little bit of what we are going to experience in full. Jesus came, and through his birth, death, and resurrection and ascension, he ushered in a partial coming of the kingdom. Oh, but there's going to be a day when this kingdom of heaven is going to come in its fullness, when the king of glory comes back, and everything that is righteous is going to stand forever, and all his people are going to be righteous, and the system and pattern of this kingdom is going to be righteous. And that is why in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his, his righteousness. Do you realize that one day you are going to stand in the kingdom of heaven and everything these beatitudes have sought to produce in your life will be on it? how we seek to enter into a fuller experience of the kingdom of heaven. Notice Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, in that prayer, the, the Lord's Prayer, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is longing for, seeking, first, this desire to enter into an ever fuller experience of the kingdom. And it comes primarily through the Holy Spirit in this life. It is a fuller, richer, ungrieved experience of the Holy Spirit. It is understanding that how we seek to enter into a fuller experience of the kingdom of heaven heaven now will determine how we enter it when it comes in full. Say it one more time. How we seek to enter into a fuller experience of the kingdom of heaven now will determine how we enter it when it comes in full. Notice I didn't say if we enter it. Can I tell you the scandalous message of the good news of grace is that the moment you meet Jesus and you put your faith in him, you become a child of God. You are literally born again. You receive a father in heaven. Your sins are forgiven. You're given the Holy Spirit. You're given a new identity. Everything Paul says you need for life and godliness is given to you in that second. You are qualified to start running a race so that though your position is righteous, now in your behavior, in every single area of your life, you can start working it out for Jesus. Notice how Paul says it? Work out your salvation, not work for it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is the most important thing in your life. Why is that? Because you are already seated in the heavenly places, you're good as there. Jesus says, "I go to prepare a place for you. You're expected. Praise God if you're a Christian. It's not whether or not you're going to get into the kingdom of heaven. The first it says you've already in it. But when Jesus comes in its fullness, it's called that day with a capital D. How we enter it will be determined how seriously we take this call to righteousness. And it's no mistake that Jesus says it like this. He said, rejoice and be glad at the very end of his final comment of the beatitude, for great is your reward in heaven. I want to use what time we have left to wrap up this last section to talk a little bit about what is this teaching of reward? Now, some of you might have heard me preach on it before, but some of you may never have heard it preached on. And I don't think I've ever devoted a portion of a sermon, as far as I can remember, to this. And I want to answer four quick questions this morning about this doctrine or major teaching of reward. The first is, why is there such a thing as reward? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Secondly is, what do we mean by reward? What is exactly going to be? Thirdly, when do we receive it? And fourthly, who is the reward ultimately for? And i ask you the question this morning. Why is there this teaching that God will reward whatever we do for him that's righteous? You see, there's two motivations to get us to live a godly life in this world. The first is gratitude. Is how much are we thankful to Jesus for what he's done for us. When you start to think about what Jesus has done for you, and you really get to grips with the grace and the love of the Father and what is given to you in Jesus, it starts to affect the way you see your own life. And the old guys, the Puritans, used to call this doctrine of sanctification becoming more and more like Jesus, the doctrine of Of gratitude. Isn't that beautiful? Where your life becomes an expression of thankfulness to God for what he's done for you. And that should be enough, shouldn't it? It should be. But you know we serve a God that is so generous. And you know we have intrinsically in us this desire for affirmation. Don't you know that? I met with a friend recently who explained to me my need for affirmation. Do you know that's from God? The problem is we look for it everywhere else, right? We look for it here in the world, and it's it's an imperfect affirmation. But we're born with this need to be affirmed, and I'll even go so far as to say, to be approved, to have a well done. Not so? Watch a father or a mother withhold a well done from their children. Do you think that child's going to thrive? That child will only operate at one thing. It's called fear. But you watch a father and a mother who create an atmosphere in their home that's secure. Oh, watch that kid thrive. I say, so. can I say this need for honor and affirmation is built into us because it's meant to come from our Father in heaven. And the amazing thing about this doctrine is, is that we serve a good God who loves to give good gifts. And the way He says it is, "My children." These rewards are here to motivate you and encourage you when you don't want to do it. When there is this act of the will that you have to exert. We're busy potty training Sarah at the moment. Please do not repeat this ever to her. She'll kill me if she knew that I ever talked about her potty training techniques later on in life. But last weekend, we started to potty train her. And my brilliant wife developed a system of a sticker chart. Some of you might know this, right? Right? and reward and she's she researched the system of having sarah sit on the potty every 20 minutes do you know how many 20 minutes there are in a day (laughs) do you know how many days there are in three days it's a long time and my poor daughter is terrified of that little plastic thing called the potty she does not want to sit on it And to get her to release that golden juice is the most difficult thing you could possibly imagine. (laughs) The first is to get her to sit down. I don't like the potty. This is after the 15th time. I don't don't want the potty. I always want the potty. Sarah, how about getting a reward? (laughs) Off she goes. Until that moment when you hear the tinkle. Of that golden juice, and in that household, her dad—it was with me, not my wife—with me she does the tinkle. Oh, Sarah, you did it. Well done, well done, you did it. Everyone's up and jumping up and down, and off she goes. She sticks a sticker, and she gets her half a sweet. And she's actually learning to jip with the system now. She does in little bars, so she gets more sweets. <laughs> so anyway. You know, as I was thinking about this, as an experience of a father, I could use my force to get her to do it, right? I'm pretty good at that. I have a father who's a principal. I can be very persuasive. But there's a crushing element when all you ever use is punishment, punishment, punishment. Let me tell you, our God motivates us. By getting our buy-in. When Sarah, I told her, Sarah, come on, my girl. I know you don't want to, but don't you want to try for a reward? She activates her will. She doesn't like doing it. She doesn't want to sit in it. And then we have to try and sit there for some time until that tinkle happens or something. You know, it's not very fun. But she's motivated. Because of my promise to bless her. The promise of well done. And I said to you this morning, we think God has a lot less fun in heaven than he actually does. If God is perfect in joy, can you imagine this? If a father can celebrate a little tinkle of his daughter and go, this is fantastic, well done, and we're all cheering her on. Let me tell you how much more in heaven. Do you know what God said to me when I thought about this? He said, Matthew, I love you like there is no one else to love. I'm so concentrated on who you are. I'm so fixed on your need so that when it comes to your turn to activate your will, I've got this. The angel's going, Matthew, Matthew. God going, come on, come on, come on. And when I do it, all of heaven erupts. He's my father. And if I love to give banana boys to my girl, or whatever they call banana sweets, how much more our father in heaven celebrating victory after victory she's my daughter whether she sits on the party or not but let me tell you I want her to know that I'm going to honor everything she does that honors me and Jesus was like this we think that this is such an unspiritual way to think but no no Jesus said it in the writer of Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 verse 2 He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who establishes the model of how we do this. And he says, who for the joy, for the joy set before him. What? Enjoyed the cross? Did he enjoy the cross? No, he didn't. He endured the cross. There's no joy there. It was an act of will. He sweated blood because he knew this was what the father was asking him. He didn't want to do it. Remember, he said, Father, if there's any other way, could you choose some other? And and the father said, no, this is your potty time. And Jesus said, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. The reward was pleasing the father and getting the honor of the father. What was the honor? Being seated for the reserved seat, seated in the reserved seat at the right hand. Of the Father in heaven, Jesus is the most exalted and honored Son of God. He could see that; that motivated him to go through this. The joy set before him, and He talks. Jesus talks about this nine times in the Sermon on the Mount. This thing of reward. Paul talks about it throughout his epistles, and in actual fact, it motivated the great saints in. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 26, talking of Moses. It said, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Isn't that amazing? And God says in Hebrew, if you want to understand his nature and you want to know that he exists and you want to draw near to him, this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Fundamental to his character and nature. And the Apostle John says it like this in 2 John 1 verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. How much do you think about heaven? Because how we live this side of the grave determines how we enter the next and the blessing of these beatitudes are not momentary they're not here to go oh I'll just get a quick pay increase I'll do this this those things matter to God anyway no what they are saying is if you would live this way if you'll give yourselves to what God wants to do in your life you'll have eternal reward and reward is something to aim for because it's not automatically achieved Do you remember that first generation of Israelites? Did they make it to the Promised Land? No. Did they go back to Egypt? No. But they missed what God wanted to give them. And Paul puts it like this in Philippians chapter three, verse fourteen: "I press on towards the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ." In one Corinthians three, fifteen, it says, "Those." Whose works are burnt up. We all have this foundation of Jesus Christ. How we build our lives for Jesus determines whether we build with hay, straw, stubble, or whether we build with precious stones or gold. And it will pass through fire. And it says those that have their works burnt up will suffer loss. Those that have their works stand will receive a reward. What is the reward? I want to know that. And looking at the Beatitudes and the rest of Scripture, they are spiritual in nature. And I never saw this before until I went and I I pondered these Beatitudes. And the reward can come either in this life or it can come in the next. Can I just spend a moment unpacking to you what it's like to receive a reward from the Lord? The primary way it comes in this life is being able to enter into the unhindered realm of the Holy Spirit. The greatest manifestation of the kingdom in this life is the Holy Spirit's power at work in you. And the way it comes out is like this. That's the first beatitude, the kingdom of heaven. It is the spiritual power and outpouring of the spirit in your life. It's wonderful. And the way it plays out is, first of all, it's God satisfies your desire for him. That beatitude number four, where you're hungry and thirsting for righteous, that longing to know him more and see him. He starts to fill you up with the fullness of him. The second is God's hand becomes so powerful on your life. He prospers you and blesses you in the things that you are doing for him. It comes through in the beatitude number five, where it talks about God being merciful to you. Ever experienced that? Where you just sense God's hand on your life coming through at the right time in the right way. Sensing his pleasure with you. That's the other thing. is having the sense of God being pleased with you. That's the comfort that someone experiences in the second beatitude. Is you're walking with the sense that you are pleasing to God. Acceptable before him. And the greatest in this life is the beatitude number six. Where it says, blessed are those who are pure in heart. For they shall see God. You will begin to have God revealing himself to you. Anybody want that? Oh man, I want that. Remember Moses' prayer? He said, show me your glory, right? Even in this life, God will come to you and say, how much of me do you want? And you can say, I want all of it. He says, well, you might not get all of it. This side of the grave, it's coming, but I'm going to give you a portion of myself that you can cope with. It's incredible. God literally unveiling himself by the Spirit. And in the life to come, what does the reward look like? Well, Primarily, it is receiving honor from Jesus. It's the essence of well done, good and faithful servant. It comes to in Beatitude number seven. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Before everybody, in all creation, for all time, you will have the mark of Christ's well done on your life forever. You say, Why would that matter? Because we'll be in heaven anyway. It's because of the third beatitude. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Do you know not only is God offering you honor. He's offering you authority. In the new heaven and earth. We will reign with Jesus. Do you know that? And Paul says. As one star differs from another in glory, he says, you get the sun and the moon and the stars. They all twinkle differently. They shine more brightly than the other. So it will be on the day of resurrection. I don't know how it works. It's mysterious. It's glorious. Christ is saying, not only will I honor you so that everybody hears my vindication of you. But secondly, I will let you reign with me. And there will be measures of authority and glory in heaven, which the the rest of the new heaven and new earth will witness forever. Just as Jesus was exalted to the right hand of the Father, authority and honor, so he'll do it for the one who might not be known in the world, might not preach, might never be applauded, but whose sole desire is to live for Jesus, my friend, your day is coming that will outshine the Oscars, will outshine the Nobel Prize, will outshine your business getting the businessman award. Well, our time you getting that third holiday home, friends, what Christ is offering you in being able to understand what the call of righteousness means for eternity, it far outweighs what this world can bring you. And for us, the reason why the Beatitudes orientate us to heaven is saying, guys, this is what is in store for you. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Each Christian will receive a measure of reward according to their faithfulness. And I've answered the third question, when do we receive the reward? It's in this life and the next. But my final one is this, who is the reward ultimately for? I'll tell you my problem with this doctrine was, I'm supposed to be focused on Jesus, but this reward system, it makes me focus on me. Not so? Doesn't quite fit for me. It's so self-orientated. And that's the opposite of what the Beatitudes achieve. And I suddenly had this revelation. It came to me from Revelation chapter 4. Who is the one that ultimately gets the glory for making it all possible? Say it a bit louder for me. Say it a bit louder for me. The higher you go in righteousness, the greater the glory he gets. Because what's the building founded on the foundation? Do you know what I realized? is I don't want to stand empty-handed before Jesus and going, "I did nothing with what you gave me, because the more I live and look like him, the more heaven erupts when I get the crown for faithfulness, the more heaven's going to say." glory to you Jesus look how far your body and blood took this man or woman look how far your righteousness achieved your glorious Jesus it is the moment in Revelation chapter 4 when the elders cast down their crowns do you know what those 24 elders represent the saved 12 tribes of Israel the 12 tribes of the Gentiles the full company of believers And these elders, they fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crown, their crowning achievement, they cast before this God of heaven and earth and they sing, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why does it matter whether you resist sin or not? Why does it matter whether or not you orientate yourself around a life that lives for Jesus or a life that lives for this world? My friend, because on that day, what you achieve for him will bring glory to him. And you don't want to be sitting on the line that goes, I've got nothing to show you. Hebrews says, how can we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? But rather this morning, the impact of these beatitudes is saying, how much do you think about heaven? because God's grace has qualified you to gain something that will last forever. Live for it. Look to it. Think about it. Because on that day, you'll want to be on the honors list for Jesus. It will bring you more joy for the joy set before him. It will do that. It will bring you more joy than you've ever realized When you hear that, well done, it will bring you more pleasure than all the stilted, temporary applause that you could have gotten here on earth. And this morning, I want to remind you, if you think that your life has been a mess, just get up. So many of us are characterized by regret here, not so. You know, to be human is to have Regrets. Some of us are thinking we're in the winter of our lives. We've got nothing left really. We've raised our kids. We've, we're in the end of our lives. We've got a few years left. Can I tell you, if you have breath in your body, if you have a relationship with Jesus, and this morning you are stirred by the Spirit, my friend, God is not finished with you yet. Paul says, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what's ahead. He runs. He runs for that prize because he says, while I'm still here in the flesh, I'm still qualifying for that prize. Can I tell you, the most encouraging person for me is Samson. He has a guy who made a mess of his life, so anointed, so gifted, so amazing in his capacity to do things for God. He ruined it. But in his last breath, his last breath, he said, God, give me one more shot. And God did One moment Samson achieved what he missed for a lifetime. What's stopping you this morning? If you've fallen, you're in the kingdom of grace, my friend. You get up. You're in the kingdom of forgiveness. Let's run for Jesus. Let's live for Jesus. It leads to eternal reward. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, seal heaven in our hearts. Lord, make us a people that aren't foolish in the way that we think about what we do, how we do it. Make us a people wise. Help us to number our days, as the psalmist says, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, we talk about death being an inevitable place. Lord, you might be coming tonight. We long for it. We want to be ready for it. We want the fullness of the kingdom now coming. Lord, we don't want to be foolish, sitting idly by, watching the years go by, saying, one day I'll do it. One day I'll be right. One day I'll, I'll be right with God. No, no, now, this morning, Lord, we grab hold of the word. We say, enough. Lord, forgetting what is behind, we want you. And the way is open. I praise you for that this morning you're a good father your hand is generous your hand's not too short to save we bless you for that lord we love you for it and this morning if there's anybody here that feels that they're not ready to meet jesus i want to encourage you this morning this is the the essence of the christian faith is one day we believe we will stand before god are you ready Are you ready for heaven? If you die tonight, are you ready? I want to help you be ready. I want you to talk to Jesus. I want you to say to him, Jesus, I need you. Tell him, Jesus, I want you. Tell him, Jesus, I need you to save me. I look to your cross, I ask for forgiveness of my sin, and as best as I know how, I want to live for you. Say that to Jesus. Lord may these words be bound in our hearts and bound in our minds, bound in our lips. We thank you for this great promise of reward. Your precious and holy name. Amen.